Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Have you ever thought Andrew Huberman's approach might be a bit over the top? Why should you never go full Goggins? And who said personal growth had to be so clinical or serious? Today, we talk with neuroscientist and founder Anson Whitmer. After leaving academic research, he went on to help the Calm app become one of the most successful apps in the world. But as a result of some family tragedies, he realized he wanted to do something more meaningful with his career. He's recently launched an app called Mental, which brings neuroscience, Navy SEAL-designed toughness training, and a sense of humor to your pocket. Anson believes we need mental training for men that isn't stuck in macho bro science or some bullshit level expectation for what it means to be a human. After all, what's the point of growing if it's not helping us feel more free, purposeful, and alive? By training, what's your profession or what's your expertise by training? Uh, yeah, by training, uh, I have a PhD in neuroscience and psychology with kind of more focus on cognitive and clinical aspects of science. Okay, so for somebody like me, what does that mean? How, how do I know what that means? Um, yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> I was doing uh, MRI studies where I was looking at brain function uh, while you were doing cognitive tasks. Um, so seeing like what part of the brain is active for you versus other people. Uh, and mostly the, the goal of my research was trying to understand uh, why people get stuck uh, in primitive forms of thinking where they just can't let go of things that happen to them and how that could lead in turn to different forms of mental illness like depression and anxiety. So, okay, this... it, so it had that kind of clinical focus, uh, my neuroscience research. Interesting. Interesting. How do you describe rumination from your perspective? Yeah, it's uh, repetitive thinking. Um, it's typically focus on something negative or your emotions. Like, why do I feel this way? What's going on? Um, it could be something that happened to you uh, when you were younger or something hard that you went through and you just can't let go of it. it. Could be a breakup you're going through and you just can't stop thinking about the breakup or that or your ex, uh, you're just ruminating on that person. It's tough because when people do it, it's very predictive of people then uh, falling into like worst mental states and very predictive of eventually having forms of mental illness like generalized uh, anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, et cetera. Yeah, so it's I, I can't, if I've been wronged or I feel bad about something I did or something like that, it's just spinning in this loop um, and I can't get out of it. Yeah, and it's uh, it it is fascinating because people have different tendencies. Some people are pretty likely to do that, and other people are unlikely to do it. Um, there's also gender differences. Uh, the original reason people started studying rumination is they wanted to understand why women are more likely to become depressed than men, and it was uh, posited as a cause of it that women are more likely to focus on their feelings and not let go of something, and that's what leads to depression. There's now a ton of research showing that that really is one of the biggest uh, causes of increased 
oppression and women in particular. We've come over time to realize that uh, women actually prior are not depressed more frequently than men. It just shows up really differently in men. Uh, they're less likely to say that they're depressed uh, in a way where it's just like they're not feeling pleasure, uh, feeling hopeless. Instead, with men, it tends to come out as irritable and angry uh, or they're distracting from depression and going down like using substance abuse, alcohol, drinking too much. Um, that's usually like the often could be a sign that a man is depressed when they're acting that way, which is a very different way of manifesting depression than it is in females. And then if you look down below that, it, it, it makes sense because uh, men, when they are feeling depressed or going through something hard that, that could ultimately then make them feel depressed later, they go the opposite direction from rumination they go towards distraction. Uh -huh. They say, I'm not going to think about it. Uh, or they drink uh, a few too many beers after work uh, so that they could ignore it better. They play video games nonstop. They figure out ways to not deal with it. Um, and that also is not good. It's, it's kind of fascinating if you like spend too much time in emotions and how you're feeling and what you went through, that's bad for you. Uh, if you distract and don't spend enough time in it, it's bad for you. Uh, either way, and it starts showing up differently. Like if you're distracting a lot, the way it'll probably show up is depression, is irritability, anger, frustration, and maybe substance abuse. Uh, if you're really focusing on how you've been slighted or uh, what some bad that happened to you or how you're feeling, it maybe it'll show up as hopelessness and despair. Um, so that, it's actually kind of fascinating when there's this cultural conversation telling men hey, you need to be more in touch with your emotions, uh, which is like generally because men distract so much. They mm -hmm. actually are better off if they kind of like tip back over towards the middle. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a there's actually a limit there. It's not just like go ham and <laughs> just focus on your emotions and your problems all the time because then you like tilt into rumination. Right. And there's too much of it. And you're also then likely to become depressed. And for women, they're... Actually, is probably reason to say they have the bias to spend too much time in those emotions. They should actually spend less amount of time focusing on their feelings and their problems and kind of tilt over. Not all the way towards distraction, because that would also be bad. So there's yeah. actually this kind of like fine-tuned level. And if you're going through something hard, say like a breakup uh, or a loss, someone uh, close to you died, say, how much do you actually think about it? If you totally ignore it, pretend it didn't happen, it's going to be bad for you. Uh, if you spend all day thinking about it and never kind of get out of your mind and go do other things, that's going to be bad for you. There's this fine rope that you need to tightrope, you need to walk in order to be able to recover from those uh, uh, tragedies or whatever you're going through as quickly as possible. And yeah, and I've, I've long found that fascinating. There, there's like this great yeah. nuance and balance there. And balance is so often lost in our cultural conversation. Um, but a lot of my research was trying to understand, yeah, how do we cope and respond to those hard things? Um, and then if we're over responding, under responding, what's that balance point? What's our brain doing? Kind of level, what's going on genetically? Why are we, some people predisposed to do more of one than the other? And therefore, what can we actually do to start fixing it? Yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm curious, because just from my own personal experience, I recognize there's a difference between me thinking about something, ruminating about it, like I'm on the outside looking in, and then mm -hmm. actually experiencing the thing that I'm ruminating about. So I might be ruminating like, oh, this is happening, why this happened, why, why, why? I'm usually asking why questions and or yeah. building like, this yeah. is stupid, and like this kind of that language as I'm pointing fingers at it. And then oftentimes there's just a place like I find the relief when I actually feel like, holy shit, I'm just sad. I'm just really and actually feel the sadness or feel the anger. Is that separate from rumination or they're separate in my world, but I'm curious about your perspective. One way to actually deal with problems effectively, uh, instead of being like, why, why, why me? And you're just kind of like, you're fully immersed into it and have no perspective. Uh, some research showing like, even if you just talk about it in third person and even talk of yourself in third person. I think of like that old Seinfeld episode where it's like, Jimmy says, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like that's, that's actually like really helpful 
for dealing with hard emotions because you're like, hey, it's all right, Anson. You know, it like you got this. Uh, this happens. People have you talk to yourself in third person. It gives you like this perspective um, that is so easily lost in it. Um, and it's like, yeah, otherwise we get lost into it. And and it does make sense that like when you kind of like underneath all that talk and you're just like, there's just that at the base of it, just that that sadness that you're over caught up in. Yeah, I, I, that's where I tend to find the relief is I, in the, the frame. The phrase I get is uh, let the tiger eat you. I'm doing all this stuff to try and keep the tiger away and all this rationalizing in my brain, trying to explain it away and think it away and all that kind of stuff. And then there's just like, there's this, there is this release of like, I don't want to fucking feel this, but I, and then I do, and I might shed a tear or I might laugh or I might cry or I might, you know, get angry, but there's that thing. And then it's just like, ah, something moved, the wave moved <laughs> through and, and it does, uh, it does seem to shift something for me there. Yeah. I mean, I, what you're saying is kind of reminding me of, you know, for a lot of men, for example, if someone is really frustrating them, they've gone through some tough and they feel angry about it. And they're like, why the hell did this happen? They're pissed. Um, but for a lot of men, uh, anger is a funnel emotion. It's like, it's one kind of emotion where it's totally fine for men to feel like, ah, he's angry. That's like a very male <laughs> type right. of it's a uh, emotion. Posture. Yeah, it's very yeah, defensive. It's like, yeah, it's like a yeah, potentially strong. Um, but because that's like acceptable, and that's one emotion that we have had through our lives, it's actually um, it becomes this kind of funnel emotion where if you actually are feeling sad, it will come out as anger. Yeah. Uh, like, so if you're in a relationship with someone and you're exploding with temper and anger, uh, is it that you have a problem with anger? or someone's really pissing you off is it an anger issue well often really underneath that is just like there's a sadness or yeah. some other emotion and if you could kind of open yourself up to it like you're talking about and just be okay with that emotion and experience that emotion you can maybe yeah release whatever it is that's driving all that anger and that fury uh and you just can't do that until you kind of like open yourself up to what's underneath it Try yeah. on that kind of emotion. Yeah, I've I've heard it described as primary emotion and secondary emotion. That anger can be considered as a secondary emotion. So it would be the smoke to a fire, let's say. Nice. So I can get really comfortable in my anger, but I'll just stay yeah. stuck there. And it yeah. can become my identity and you know, metal forever, right? I, I mean, this was what <laughs> 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 so, but the, if I'm curious about what is perpetuating that anger, I can look underneath and the primary emotions are typically fear, hurt, you know, I was hurt by something or I'm really concerned about something. Uh, um, you know, don't go out in the street if I yell at my kid, right? That that can come out as anger, yeah. but it's really just deep concern, uh, yeah. the form of fear in there. But, uh, and I found that if, if um, we really want to shift it, that we can, if we're willing to look at what that primary emotion is or that primary driver is, then the anger can kind of be released in that way. If we're sick of that, if we're sick of hanging out in our anger there. So what, what, what's, what scared me? What, um, what hurt me? What, um, what am I really concerned about? Well, those are really vulnerable places for men. Like we don't typically want to show, we don't want to be transparent about that something actually impacted us. We'd rather show that, that armored uh, exterior. So, but yeah. I found that extremely helpful to just get curious around, well, what, what if, if I'm so pissed off, then what might've hurt me? What might've scared me? Um, and what might I be deeply, deeply concerned about? The reality is it's like, often when you look directly at the thing that really is underneath it, it's not quite as terrifying as you think it is. <laughs> like, right. And I, that's almost like the, I, I've meditated, uh, since I was like 18 on and off. Um, but one of the big lessons from it is like, just about anything, if you're to just look at it and accept it as it is, is not nearly as awful as you think it is. Even pain, you know, like mm -hmm. with pain, it's like, if you break your leg, you are, uh, there's the pain from breaking your leg, but most of the pain is all the kind of turmoil around like, oh, I 
like, what's going to happen now? I won't be able to get to work. I won't be able to like carry my kid up the stairs. I won't be able to like compete in basketball this weekend. Like you kind of just like cycle all these like meta questions around the pain. And that's most of the suffering is, yeah. is fighting against what's actually happening. But then if, if it's just the pain and you don't have all that like mental turmoil about the pain, you're just like, oh, it's just the broken leg. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not that bad. And even the pain of the broken leg, if you're not fighting that suffering, like it, it's not that bad. Uh, there's this like great equation. Most people think like suffering is equal uh, to pain. Like if you're more pain, more suffering. There's some truth to that, but really like the better equation is pain times by resistance equals suffering. So like when you fight that pain, you resist it, your suffering is like, as magnified, uh, as yeah. multiplied. Uh, so and even when you're just that, that pain of the broken leg in that very moment, you could even not resist that pain and you won't experience as much uh, like mental suffering from just that feeling of of pain just because you stop resisting it. And if anyone doesn't believe me, you could go like hop into really cold water. You could fight that and be like, oh, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. And it you will be suffering bad. But if you mm-hmm. switch your mind and you're like, hey, this cold is actually like good for me. It's good for my health. I'm going to accept it. This is something that's working with me. And you kind of like relax yourself into it. That cold's still painful, but it's not, it's not that painful. It's actually like way less painful than it is when you're resisting it. This is huge because this is this distinction between pain and suffering. I think of the old Buddhist tale, right? Like there's the first arrow that comes in uh, from wherever, right? There, I can't remember the the tale uh, perfectly, but then there's all the arrows that we put into ourselves. Why should why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. That person's wrong for doing this, and the, that's where the suffering comes from. So pain is inevitable, but the, in you know if, from that lineage, but suffering is a choice in some ways that we can when we stack onto it. And this is tying together a lot of what we've been talking about, where rumination sounds like it's this suffering, this spinning around yep. when we might be able to get curious about where the real pain is and just be with that. And then wait a second, the, the rest of that suffering can just relax a bit. It's not that we don't have any discomfort or any pain, but we're not stacking on top of it. Is that a fair way to yeah, put it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with rumination, people often think, oh, I'm I'm trying to like resolve it and fix it. If I could just understand why and like, you know, I make it better next time and I can fix this. And it's like, it's not actually, it's really clear from research that you're not problem solving. You're going the opposite direction <laughs> and you're really quickly falling into what you're saying. You're just like putting new arrows in yourself and making yourself feel miserable. We're putting these arrows into ourselves. We're not actually helping ourselves or uh, making it worse. And ultimately, if we did kind of like, just see that that thing that is hurting us. If we step back from all those whys and problem solving uh, diatribes and just saw that thing that's making us afraid or sad or whatever it is for what it is, it's often like it's manageable. You could deal with it. It's like the broken leg without all those meta thoughts about it. It's like cold water where you're like not finding it. You're just like, I'm okay with this. And then once you do that, You'll stop poking yourself with arrows. Right. <laughs> that stuff will turn off and you'll just like, like that stuff will be resolved by itself. I think this is where folks get confused about surrender or acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean that, mm-hmm. oh, I accept defeat here, but I accept the reality that I've been wounded instead of this yeah. shouldn't be happening. I think that's what happens, at least for me. I'll go into the spin. I'm like, oh, God damn, why is this how I'm finding reality? You know, the thing's broken and now, I'm, now this is going to happen. Now this is going to happen. But I'm not in reality like... Here we are, right? This what's yeah. actually happening. This feels this way. I can get curious and go into the feeling, like when you're sitting on your meditation cushion for hours at a time, and it's like, what does it feel like? My knee's going to come out of my skin, right? And just actually feel yeah. it, and then it, it can transform if we get curious about the reality of it instead of this headspace of being up in our heads and fighting that reality or trying to explain it or think our way out of it. I think that is a, a point that is kind of confusing to people, like that acceptance where it's like, oh, okay, then you're fine with bad things happening. And no. and it's not. And I, I don't even think it's that way in like the meditation Buddhist kind of like tradition. There's actually like a story I've heard of uh, 
there was ages ago of like a monk uh who's like in London coming in town back of a cart and uh someone tried to steal something off the cart and the monk hit that person on the head with a cane. <laughs> <laughs> and the people in the car are really surprised. They're like, but you're enlightened. You just hit a guy in the head with a cane. <laughs> and, and his point basically was that it's like, just because you're enlightened and you could like, and you could be present with what is, it doesn't mean you're okay with someone like yeah. stealing something or doing something bad. It's like, you can still prevent that. Like, right. uh, so, so we could still stop it, but it's like, but it's, it's different than like yeah. our ability to, stop resisting our pain and actually move through it so that we stop feeling it. Yeah. So if I'm resisting reality, I'm going to go distract myself. I'm going to drink or play video games or whatever. I'm fighting reality. I'm not willing to turn into it and just say, this is what's happening or X happened or X is going to happen or whatever. And then learn to actually be with it and feel it. And then as you're saying, once I, if I'm willing to get curious, the feeling isn't that bad. It's usually not as intense or as difficult as we make it out to be. But it's not how, like, I feel like we operate. Uh, it's like fear is this signal to us. It's like when we kind of get close to that stuff, we get it. I think sometimes we have resistance to it because there's, there's fear around it, particularly around hard stuff we've gone through. That's kind of why we distract. Like, I, like, I don't want to deal with that. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, it's like fear used to be a really helpful emotion in terms of like, you know, a saber-toothed tiger is attacking you and you're afraid and you need to get away and get your family away. It's like very helpful that way for survival. But now it's like fear is just omnipresent in our life. Most people have like this kind of overactive fight or flight reaction going on. Uh, there's actually like the vagus nerve is a really big nerve in the body that when turned on does the opposite, makes you feel re- relaxed and calm. And there's kind of research showing that in a lot of people it's, it's like doesn't have enough tone to it. It's like a under exercise muscle. So it's hmm. not on enough because most of the time people are in this fight or flight kind of system where there's like, ah, did my boss give me a sideways look? Um, like all the different things we could be afraid of. And the reality is, is because when we see fear, we're trying to figure out if we got to fight it or run away from it. Um, but often fear to me is actually a signal of like, this is something we should go towards. Uh, this is like an opportunity for growth. If you are afraid of this thing that is like driving all this, like underneath it, that's driving the anger and the resistance, et cetera, you're often afraid to kind of go close to it. But if you kind of like instead use that fear as a signal in the opposite direction is something like you need to run away from is the fear is like, oh, there's something beckoning me over there because I'm afraid of it. That's like, it should be a siren call instead to pull you in mm-hmm. because if it draws you over to it and you can actually see it for what it is, uh, then you're actually able to like be present with it, sit with it, stop fighting it and turn off like the root problem that is causing like you so much pain in your life. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I, I talk about this in my book, which is, you know, success seems to be our ability to run away from comf- a discomfort, from uncertainty, and from looking like an, a moron. It's like, <laughs> yeah. but we, but we get more and more fragile as a result. You know, it's like fragile yeah. rich guy problems. And so it's, um, and we're painting this picture of we're just getting better at avoiding these things, and we're getting more and more fragile. And you're actually saying that it's impacting us on a physiological level that that yep. our nerves are responding to this. The vagus nerve is responding to this non-stop being comfortable probably is problematic because we have these chronic stressors um and if we instead had like some real acute stressors like we used to like a saber-toothed tiger or something like that we would have a fight or flight system that would take off and we'd ramp it back down and that vagus nerve that ramps it back down uh would become stronger and we'd be really good at handling those kind of flight or flight responses and those stressors but instead, we don't have anything like intense enough in those short little bursts like we used to. It's just like we're always kind of comfortable or we have like this kind of like chronic low level stress. Like, so we don't actually like turn it off. It's just like yeah. slightly always on. And this, and we don't teach that vagus nerve. Like we don't push on it. This is why things like, you know, cold water, um, 
are becoming popular because it is like one of the methods. It's, it's a use, use stress, a hormetic stressor, a good form of stress that temporarily uh, causes the fight or flight system to turn on. It's not too hard that we can't handle it. And then when you turn it off, you train the vagus nerve to, to activate, you tone it up. Um, so there's a reason why people are starting to search out discomfort actively right. in yeah. their life more because if you don't do it, uh, you're not training yourself at a neural level to be able to handle discomfort. And as you said, then you just become more and more fragile. You can't handle any kind of discomfort. You're unable to turn off those chronic stressors. You're just, you feel like it's safer because I'm always comfortable, but it's actually the total consequence is a lot more misery and suffering than yeah. it would be if you would like go towards it a little bit more often. From your perspective, is, I mean, are humans just wired to be a neurotic mess? Like I can imagine we weren't <laughs> kicking it, we weren't relaxing and throwing and having barbecues all the time back, you know, millions of years yeah. ago. So is it is it just we've evolved and we've got, you know, phones in our pockets and and we can watch anything at any time and sit in our cushy homes with air conditioning and we're just we just have to be neurotic too is that part of it yeah uh, no that's a great question and something i think about like over humans before there was much of language for example when we were like cavemen uh we had to have been much more present and less neurotic right and and as we've had language and then high levels of education we're able to think abstractly about a lot of different things that you know, like we weren't before, we're able to think a lot about what's going on with like climate change and what's going to happen with like, what if too many people have nuclear bombs? And we're able to really understand like all these abstract risks that are out there. And it could be very overwhelming. Sure. And if you take away language uh, or probably even less education, there might be some uh, blissful ignorance where we'd just be in the moment <laughs> more. So, and then you add, yeah modern day stressors are like clearly even worse where it's nonstop news it's very clear from news that they uh they know that emotional news is what makes people click um and so it's nonstop emotional news that's designed to kind of alarm you you're like on social media where you're constantly comparing yourself to somebody else it's like and you're never in that kind of present state of mind where you're just being and to like in the last 10, 15 years, it's no wonder we're seeing like rates of like mental illness uh, like go up tremendously. Why we're seeing rates of loneliness skyrocket. It's like bottom pressures right now in the past 15 years are like tougher than they've ever been before. So like our it's not surprising that humans will be neurotic given that current conditions. Yeah. And but it's just like, how do we start evolving? It's like the, the thing is, is like, we also aren't going back. We're not going to go back to a time where we don't have education, where we don't have words, where we're like free tech, where these things don't exist. Like, mm -hmm. that's happened. The only thing is like, how do we go forward through it? Uh, and to me, that's like kind of the really important question. I mean, it's like when a hundred years ago, if someone asked you, hey, uh, do you exercise? Uh, do you go jogging or whatever? People would think that was an absurd question, right? <laughs> because I think they like, call it yogging. I just remember that from Anchorman. Yeah. Like, apparently, you just run. <laughs> so if you're like you're out in the field all day tilling the soil, it's like you're not going for a jog at the end of that, right? right. Like you're you're active. You don't need to do that. But it was like right. once we became really sedentary and we're in offices all day, it was like, hey, remember that thing we used to do where we were moving around a lot? Turns out that was actually good for us. We need to do that. And people in the 60s, 70s, they didn't say, all right, everyone back to the fields, you know, like uh, instead what they said is like, okay, let's figure out ways to get it in smaller doses. Uh, so we actually get some of that goodness. Uh, so let's start running. And now it's become even more clear that even just running is not enough. If you sit the rest of the time, you're basically what they call an active couch potato. You need to try to like move a little bit between meetings, et cetera. But we figured out a way to handle office life, right? Around that physical component. And now I think we're at the same point uh, mentally where we've like now have this nonstop ability to be entertained and we're just, we can sit on the couch comfortable nonstop with like, um, and we need to figure out ways to kind of mentally handle that tech and incorporate it into our life, but move through it and move beyond it kind of the same way we did with jogging. So like, 
that's partially why things like meditation is becoming popular. Partially why things like getting into cold and training your mind is becoming popular because modern life is stressful in brand new ways. And if we don't figure out ways to start training our mind to move through it, we're, we're going to suffer. We're going to be held back. And this is like, it's a different environment than a hundred years ago. Like, so we need to respond differently. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about that tech because you were involved with the Calm app for, for, for a few years, and then now you've come out with Mental. And so walk us through a bit. I mean, you've, you've dropped hints throughout our conversation today about where Mental is going. But yeah, what, what brought you to create Mental? Uh, the major reason why I end up going into neuroscience and wanting to understand rumination uh, is because when I was 19, uh, my uncle who'd been living with us, uh, he killed himself. And he basically couldn't let go of things that happened to him when he was a kid. He ruminated on him and it ultimately led to uh, struggles with depression, anxiety, and then suicide. Uh, you know, he tried uh, therapy and different solutions that are out there, but none of them really resonated with him. I want to understand what caused that. Like, what could we do about it? Uh, and that ended up doing my PhD, my postdoc at Stanford, and I think we made tremendous strides in understanding the causes of mental illness. Uh, but it was starting to become really clear to me that we were doing so little to scale up its solutions. Academia, it's just, it's a very slow moving institution. So I started becoming disillusioned with it. Around that same point in time, my cousin, other side of the family who I grew up with, um, our dads, uh, shared the same house for a long time. Uh, he actually reached out to me. Um, and asked me a question that only later in retrospect did I realize was a call for help because a few days later he killed himself. Um, and I never got back to him in time. So I actually was unable to help him. But a week later, we're at his funeral. We're standing outside. And what was just kind of like a surreal, wild coincidence is we're just like in this Minnesota suburb a group of people walked by, 30 or 40 of them holding up signs protesting the suicide rate. Um, and they didn't know my cousin and we didn't know them. But all of us were just very aware that we are not doing enough in this country to reduce the suicide rate. And so that became a really big motivation for me to move over to working at Calm. I was a uh, uh, founding data hire, um, employee number 10. My co-founder at Mental was the founding engineer. And I knew then that meditation is tremendously impactful at reducing rumination uh, and preventing mental illness from starting. And even if you are uh, struggling with mental illness, at helping you address it. Uh, and I was really niche back then. <laughs> Actually, Series A, uh, we struggled getting our that fundraising round because investors are like, meditation is just too niche. It's like someone down on college campuses and like, or new agey old ladies and. <laughs> And it was like, over the next few years, we really proved out that that just is not the case. Uh, it just had never been presented in a kind of a more commercial, like a little bit less like incense heavy sort of way. Um, just how big did Calm get? Like just to put it in perspective for somebody listening yeah. here. Yeah, our last valuation was uh, over $2 billion. Um, and millions of people are... Are meditating now. I used to say to the head of user acquisition at Calm, I was like, you probably got more people to meditate than any single person in the history of mankind. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it, it, it shifted. It used to be pretty niche and now people are do it or they know it's a tool that they could use and have tried it or know it's something that maybe they'll try at some point. And yeah. And what was beautiful there is, you know, I wear calm gear or people would write in and people would even approach me on the street and be like, you literally saved my life um, because they saw they're going through a dark period and meditation made them able to do what we were talking about earlier, like approach the pain and see that it actually wasn't that bad. And they were able to move past it. Um, and so they got through tough periods with meditation. But what was really clear to me then is that we weren't really getting through to guys. Uh, guys like the part of medit, uh, calm. There's also like sleep stories that help you fall asleep and guys like that. Tons of guys like fall asleep in front of a TV. Um, and they're like, Oh, it's just like a TV on, <laughs> but it like, right. but it's like built for falling asleep. Perfect. But that's kind of like a band aid. 
and the meditation is more like the medicine. And and then a lot of guys didn't go into the meditation part. And you know, we tried tweaking it. We're like, hey, let's get a mal meditation teacher. Maybe it's that. And it just was really clear to me that it's not enough to just kind of tweak one of the existing approaches. You know, like paint the room blue, and it's like, okay, now it's for men. You know, that's for dudes. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, uh, we need to like really fundamentally rethink this. Uh, and so when I left Colin to take a sabbatical, uh, I started thinking about it. And the issue is, is that 75, 80% of suicides in the country are men. So if we don't figure out a way to get through to guys, we'll never bring the suicide rate down. So uh, it really was important to me that we figured this out. And the reality is, is that a lot of our approaches in the mental health space, are female oriented especially the mental health app space, there's uh, one report that there's like 10 to 20,000 mental health apps. And if you look at the space, they're almost all explicitly implicitly for women and even apps that say they're for general use, like Calm or Headspace. They're like, if you look at the users, the messaging, the flat rate appears in the app, it's like, you're you're for a woman. And that's why your dominant demographic is woman. So like, but there are so many different ways that you can actually improve mental health um, that is more male oriented. And it's almost just people aren't aware of it because it's just the female oriented approach is so dominant that it's like, it's hard to even see that there's alternatives there. Yeah. Yeah. It's really building on. I mean, when we started this podcast uh, going on 15 years ago, I think we're, we're getting up there. Um, but at that time, we were still buying books in bookstores. And you know, it was whatever Oprah was talking about. Like that was the whole section. Any any of the personal growth stuff, the self-help stuff was just all yeah. women. And there was no way you were going to get a guy to, to read that stuff at all. And yeah. it's it's yeah. it's amazing how much things have changed since then. There's so much stuff that's specifically for guys. And I see it helping. I can see it generationally, how it's just so much more accessible to like, oh yeah, this is for me. This isn't for my girlfriend or my mom or something. Yeah, like, yeah this is specifically for me. Um, coming back to the suicide thing. So it, but mental's not about it's not for me if I'm at that place where i'm 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 struggling and I think I'm suicidal necessarily. it It seems like it's more about let's get these these foundational pieces in place so that I, I have a strong uh, foundation to deal with stress and those types of things. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think if you're in a crisis state, uh, you really need hands-on help. Uh, like go see someone, talk to someone. Uh, an app maybe it could be supplementary, but it's it's not going to be enough. So just alone, like the tool isn't the right tool for it. Um, but also, yeah, it's like if you're only trying to help people when they're in that state, it's like you're you're very reactive at that point. For me, if like my goal is to reduce suicide rate, we must be more proactive. And it really is uh, for a lot of people. The time to actually work on yourself is when you're doing okay. Or maybe even a little better than okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really like what our app is for, for the guys who kind of like, hey, mostly I'm doing okay. There's maybe like dealing with a lot of stress, or maybe I'm kind of like feel disconnected from my purpose in life. And like, so there's certain things I need to work on. That is the time where it's where training your mind could be hugely impactful. And it's what I was talking about before. It's like, hey, Hundred years ago, maybe it wasn't as critical. Uh, but in our modern times, with everyone trying to like steal your attention, fill you full of emotions, making you angry, etc. Like, if you don't figure out ways to train your mind when you're doing okay, so that you could handle it, so that you could like find ways to get good forms of discomfort in your life, um, find ways to address stress better. Like, if you don't learn methods to handle that you are opening yourself up to like falling down into a more of a spot where you are in a crisis spot or into what we call like a danger zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's like, how do we prevent you from falling down there? Well, train your mind. But it's not even that. It's also like what mental is about is less about like trying to escape the negative and really to me more about like, hey, I'm doing okay. And I'm a little disconnected from my purpose and stress, but like, how do I live a really full life? Like, how do I live a life of purpose? Like, I just want to remove the stress because it's holding me back from being who I can be. Uh, and that's to me really like what mental is about is is that level. Uh, open yourself up to your potential. Yeah. And I love the implementation of it because it's, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been able to play with it and it's very playful. 
It's very like, <laughs> it's not like I'm in a crisis. My life's going sideways. It's very much like, come on, let's get going. Let's, let's do some things. Tell us a little bit about the protocol. It's very simple. And it's very familiar. I could say of those 20,000 mental health apps, where the only one to hire a comedian as one of our first hires. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so much of the space is like you either feel like you're gone to monastery and you need to light some incense or, uh, or you're in a clinician's office. And to me, it's just like I have a lot of guys and myself included, I, maybe there's a space and time for that, but I don't want to do that every day. I like... I want to have a laugh and have some fun. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's infused in there. And yeah, same thing with Huberman. I think you've seen our website. It's like, if you want Huberman two minutes instead of like 47 hours, it's like, yeah, I don't get it. That guy supposedly also does like four to six hours of like morning routine every day, which is just like, all right, it's it's good to be a healthy guy, but you're, you're like... I'm curious because uh, well, I, I, you know, I don't pay much attention to him, but there's this kind of like level of certainty, like do this and you'll like, you know, and, and, and X, X will happen kind of thing. But it, when you yeah. listen to him, are you like, well, you have like yeah, a well, I'm, okay. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I've found more and more, it's like, there's a lot of confidence in things that are like, all right, there's some research behind it. Uh but not always. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot more confidence uh, that is normal for a scientist anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, normally it's like that would, that would it, like, this will improve it. Well, I want to know like 0.2%, like, like what are we really talking about here for that extra hour a day to get the 0.2%, yeah. you know, like. And what's that effect size? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm all about 80, 20. Yeah. If you're doing four to six hour morning routines, uh, <laughs> just like who has time for that year that is not 80 20 that is like right. i'm trying to get 99.9999% of the juice out of here and right. you don't have that and if they think that's what's needed they won't do it right yeah. but if you're just like hey it's a little tweak in your normal routine and that could like shift your mentality to for the rest of the day like you could do that i could do you know, that you know there's a there's a downside that i've seen over the years which is usually achiever types that are kind of in a scarcity place where it's like, well, if I don't do these things that a Huberman would say, if I don't like check all these boxes, then I'm falling behind or something. And it's like, man, you need, they're missing that perspective. They don't have that 80, 20 thing. It's like, <gasps> I'm going to fucking have, you know, nose cancer and my feet are going to fall off and I won't sleep. Or, you know, so it's like, <laughs> dude, you're fine. You're rocking it. You know, this is, yeah. Like, cherry on top stuff but man it's, yeah it's, i see it's I, unfortunate they stress themselves out yeah it's the it's kind of like the the men approach uh with like the female space when i talk about female oriented apps often it's about pampering making women just feeling good however you are and men often the approach is more like discipline tough enough come on you know like that's why we like the god inside more. yeah, more yeah more. but what you could end up getting there with discipline, discipline could be really great. It could change people's lives. But if it just becomes all about it, well, you're not necessarily living your life when you're just like, I'm going through all my routines and I'm doing all the things. I'm disciplined all the time. Well, it's like, when are you like kissing to your wife? Uh, you know, like when are you dancing or just like enjoying living. the sunset or living? <laughs> yeah, like there needs to be spontane spontaneity in your life too. That you need to be present. And I think people get so caught into the discipline side sometimes that it they they just forget that it's like you have a short life. Like you're, yeah. you're not you're not getting to somewhere. Like so, it's like the the disciplines should be in purpose of something, and that is to live a full life. And yeah. it gets lost in there sometimes. Absolutely. I think, I think definitely for like kind of the Enneagram three types of the Enneagram one, like these high performers and perfectionists, the point is to do the stuff and to do all the stuff and to do it well. And yeah. instead of, no, I do this stuff so that I can go have more experiences and get out of my own way and not be ruminating or, or not be sick or whatever the things yeah. are. So I can go out and go do the life, you know, actually have, have a life. And we miss that point, um, you know, kind of turn yeah. everything into a, into a routine so we're different from like female oriented like mental health but it's also like there's a like this guy kind of social media advice that's happening that there's a lot of good to it but it's like it's out of perspective loses balance it's out of perspective and it's like we're also not that you know like yeah we're, we're trying to bring some balance to the space yeah. Um, one of the well, for one of those things, you're not that. You're not the you're not this, then you're you suck as a guy, which you know attracts a lot of low self-esteem dudes. And yeah. and and but then also I just loved the the like, hey, pick your archetype. Like who's your guy? 
And to me, that was an indication like you decide what is, you know, the bar for you. You decide yeah. what you're, where, where you're heading instead of we've decided. It's the muscular guy with X percent body fat and he makes X a million a year and he gets yeah. six yeah. girls a week and he's, you know, whatever these, yeah. uh, these things are, which is like, just tell me what to do. It becomes a religion. And yeah. um, so I just, um, I'm appreciating that you're, for me, the work that I do is all about empowering to be like who you're becoming instead of, you know, here's the, here's the path and go follow the rules. Yeah. Compared to the the female space, we're the only ones who hired a comedian early on and compared to like the social media male, uh, bro advice space. I'm like the only like leader of an org that isn't like a jacked like, muscler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty strong, but I don't look like one, like I'm, I'm not the liver king, you know, like, <laughs> uh, we have like, I mean, even just like our tongue in cheek, like we're trying to build what our app is into like men's daily routines. And we're just like, what's the most men of, of routines? Well, it's like the shit shower and shave. So we're like, let's create a little bit of content for the part of your day where you're uh, uh, taking a deuce and we'll call it the daily deuce. <laughs> and we're like, instead of doom scrolling, you just have like two minute like audio that gives you like this mindset nudge uh, mm-hmm. and like how to control stress and kind of reconnect with your purpose. And it's just like, it's so short. You don't know extra times needed in your day, but it like infuses your mind for the rest of the day where you're just like, your self-talk is shifted. Um, <laughs> then you go into the shower and we have this protocol. Uh, a lot of people uh, know that cold is good for you now, but haven't tried it or struggled to try it. And what we've done is the first ever guided cold shower protocol where we actually have a master chief Navy SEAL. That This guy is uh, just total badass. He created uh, the warrior toughness program for the Navy along with a clinical psychologist. And now every sailor in the Navy has to go through this program. It's basically about how to like perform under pressure, how to take a hit, get back up on your feet and keep going and and how to have like grit, how to just like keep going you know, through that middle part of the race when it's tar- starting to turn into a slog. Like how do you mm-hmm. keep pushing at that point? Mm-hmm. And so it's like all these tools about how to do that that came from the Navy SEALs. Uh, that he used under pressure. And basically what we do in the cold shower is we train you in these mental tools. In a situation when you're stressed, because cold water literally stresses you. So you train these tools under stress. And what that means is they they become like your automatic reflexive response to stress in everyday life. And we have people write in or they're like, and my kid's yelling in the backseat of the car as I'm driving. And they suddenly find themselves using these mental tools just like not even thinking about it automatically because they get a dose of adrenaline and noradrenaline in the shower when they practice them. And then when their kids are yelled in their ear, same thing, uh-huh. tools turn on. Uh, so you <laughs> you train these tools under stress so that they show up in everyday stress. Um, and yeah, for a lot of guys who are writing it, it's actually been really transformative in their daily life. Yeah. So there's the, there's the nudge, the, the deuce, and then there's the cold shower. And what's the third component? Yeah. I, you know, when we talk about shave, we just, uh, we have a part of the app where we just get you to reflect for a moment. And, and the reflection is on the deuce. The deuce is like this insight. Um, I'm but cracking it's like, up as we call it the deuce, by the way. It's like, um, it's an insight where you're like, oh, that's meaningful. But where people often stop when they hear that stuff, you know, like you hear Goggins be badass or something like You're like, that's cool. But you don't apply it to yourself. You don't think about like, oh, in my day today, what could I actually do to make that mm-hmm. part of my life? Or how's that apply to me? And and so we have a kind of follow-up from the deuce where we get you to reflect. And we call that like the shave bit where it's just reflection. Um, but yeah, you're in the mirror. Right? It's perfect, right? Yeah, think about it for a second. And then if you have, um, take the time, if you're actually writing your thoughts into that, then we also have AI that takes who you are, what we know about you, and converts it into what we call the daily do. Like just a real micro action. Like, hey, you're just reflecting about how this applies to you. Like if you want to do one thing today that pushes you in that direction, just a small thing. This is what it is. Um, so it's like, how do we take action? So that's it's not just about like reflection, right? It's like we want to improve our lives. We need to act uh, yeah. and talk about like male versus female oriented to a lot of men that would 
is what feels missing from a lot of the approaches. Hey, we'll go deep in understanding what's happened to you, where you're at, what your emotions are. But a lot of guys are like, tell me what to do. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what's the action? I'm ready to start. And, yeah. and so that's what we try to get to like, right off the bat. Yeah, and that's where we feel a sense of autonomy. Like I'm, I'm doing something about this. This isn't, this isn't just something happening to me. I'm taking some, I'm, I'm grabbing the wheel and doing something with it. So I want to commend yeah. you because there's a, you, you being, you know, your background in neuroscience, master chief Navy SEAL on board. You guys are Trojan <laughs> horsing a lot of cool shit into this app, but it, it just feels like it feels more fun and light. Whereas there's so much stuff out there that's like the tough guy, macho shit or the super high achiever. It's very serious and there's, there's, you know, there's like, I love how you kind of even, you know, give a wink and a nod to the Goggins and the Hubermans out there. And it's like, we, we know where we fit into this space and it's for, for those of us that want to do something, but it's, it's a bit more playful and I really appreciate it. The thing that cracked me up though, I don't know, do you, you, it's the ask a legend thing where you pick, yeah. is it, is it, uh, that's, is that what you call it? Like you pick your yeah. own, you pick your legends, right? Yeah. And then you can ask them questions and I guess it's AI powered. So I got coaching this morning from Bob Marley. And was, <laughs> I, was, I was laughing out loud. It was like Bob Marley was coaching me on distress, and it was—I could just hear his voice like, as he was reading this to me. It was just it, in my head, you know. I could just hear it. It was just, just that. It was just something shifting. It just a nudge to go in the right direction, kind of breaking that pattern. If I'm—if I was ruminating, it would be like, oh yeah, it would kind of jar me and, and break me out of that pattern a bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. When you when you onboard, you get to like, what's the archetype that fits you? You yeah. know, like is it or that you aspire to like Bob Marley or Pele or well, Ryan Reynolds or Bob Marley. Bruce Lee. Yeah. There was all the typical, like the stoic guys and all these badasses. And then like Bob Marley was in there. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Bruce Lee's uh, our, I think our top picked archetype right now. Sure. Men, men really aspire to Bruce. Uh, but it's like, but you have those and you have those voices and you're like, I'm going through something. What would they say? And this is kind of come back to that early point about rumination if you talk to yourself in third person and kind of get out of your head and have a little bit of perspective like when we're in our head we're usually assholes to ourselves men and self-talk is like Harsh. one of the biggest things holding ourselves back like we want to talk to our friends that way our wives are like our children like right. we're so much harsher on ourselves so like and if you're just kind of tell yourself like hey talk to yourself as a friend You'd be more encouraging. You'd work through it better, and that's almost like what that ass legend really is. It's just like, hey, like you like one of these guys you aspire to be. How would they talk about this? How would they talk to you? They give you that kind of feedback on yeah what you're going through, and it's like boom. It's like that's right. <laughs> like I should stop being an asshole to myself. You know? <laughs> right on, man. So if somebody wants to check out Mental, how do they go about doing that? Uh, yeah, we're our website is Get Mental. Dot com uh, as we're saying we, we tell everyone uh, you should, it's time to get mental uh, <laughs> there's almost like a stigma around being mental it's like ah it's crazy but uh, it's like uh, screw that let's get mental uh, let's go in there, yeah. <laughs> uh, but also get the app um, yeah and yeah if you're in the app store and you search for mental uh, it should show up as well yeah I can imagine that life of the academic track that you were on and feeling removed from that. But I imagine there were all, we didn't get to go into this, but, but but I imagine there were all kind of hooks and incentives for you to stay in that place. And I'm appreciating how you have steered your life to more and more impact and meaning where, yeah. you know, you could have maybe just stayed in that place and been elevated and known a lot and been revered for that and wrote your papers and gotten published and all that kind of stuff. But you've, you've chosen to go with this risky path and try to meet people where they are. And um, for so many of the guys that I coach and that I talk to, they're wanting more of that impact. They're wanting more of that meaning, but it takes guts and it takes that ability to steer into uncertainty and try shit and experiment. And And I'm appreciating that that's, that's been your story here. And maybe we'll have to unpack that at a different time. It's, it's very easy, especially as you're like, if you are seeing success in your career, to just run harder. You're just like, because the opportunities start presenting themselves and see, just try to seize them, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's food here. Ah, and, yeah. but it's like, why, why are you running so hard to, I mean, life is just really short. I am, we all like to imagine we're going to live to 90, but that's not the case for most of us. And, and even 90 is not that far away, you know, like, and, and so it's like, what do I actually want to do? I'm willing to run hard, but it's like, it's, 
taking that time to just kind of reconnect with that uh, mm-hmm. is is really important as you just kind of can't. I know so many people are like, they leave one job and they go into the next sometimes with like a weekend between them. And it's like, I, and they just see his next rung up the career ladder and or a new opportunity. And they are probably gaining some things, but is it the, is it what they want from life when they're that 80 or 90 year old on their deathbed? Are they like, hell yeah, that, that was a good move. I'm glad you did that. Uh, yeah. Or, or not. And I think most of the time it's not, they're just running and they don't know why they're running. Yeah. I think for most of us, we can just get into that herd mentality, which is make the money, get up the, you know, jump through the hoops and the hierarchy and all of that kind of stuff. But then we wonder why yeah. we're lacking any real connection to the work that we're doing. And I think there's also just a built-in fear. We go, well, if I go do the thing I really want to do, I'll go broke. I'll, I'll lose this, yeah. you know, this, the stability and the lifestyle that I've yeah. come to enjoy. And, and that's a huge fear. So it just becomes this either, or either I do something impactful and I'm, you know, I go broke or yeah. I stay in the safe zone, but I don't feel like I've got any connection to meaning and fulfillment. And um, was that ever the case for you? Did you, did you battle against that party that was like, no, just play it safe and just stay in your lane and, you know, any of that stuff come up? Oh, yeah, I, for sure. Because there's opportunities. It's like, you know, kind of gone on and gotten a great job at like a fang and had a, you know, a comfortable job that, you know, and, and the problems there, I think, wouldn't have been interesting. It wouldn't have been uh, rewarding in a lot of different ways. Um, and then paid better. And it's like, uh, yeah, kind of a standard of living and less stress about money was possible there. But I had to think of, you know, where am I at in my career? What do I want now? Uh, and those types of problems, maybe uh, later in my life, those are like, would be fun problems for me to tackle. But where I'm at now, when I'm passionate about it, I realize it's, it's, it's not them right now. And, um, and yeah, and then there is financially, it's like, I, I get it. If you're going to take a risk and it's like, and you're at risk of uh, not being able to pay your mortgage, it's, Maybe for you that that is too big of a risk, and you need to be able to find a, a middle zone. It's like, um, but there there is ways to find that middle zone. With me, it's like, you know, I'm not going to risk being houseless with a family, um, and that was actually part of the reason thinking about security and that kind of thing. So I have yeah. a three year old, and actually have a now I have like a five week old, and I knew I was going to have another kid. It's like, oh, so yeah, I'm family, and it's like maybe security is the best thing. Just maximize that out. But, yeah. but what I was able to see is like, what's the risk level I'm comfortable with? How how deep can I go? And I just kind of looked at that logically and was like, uh, willing to take a certain amount of risk. And I knew I had enough buffer to do it. And I knew that now was the time. And if I didn't do it now, I, I sure should, wouldn't be doing it five years from now. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so I just realized what comfort zones I was willing to go with and decided like, uh, with that level of stress, can I handle that? And I was like, yeah, I commit to that and handle that because of all the potential upside and knowing that this is the moment that's not going to return. Um, and so it's, I, I think that's just so much in cultural conversations. There's, there's no balance and so much of what we come back to at mental and, and to me as like, yeah, like the Goggins, he just does so over the top. I always joke is like, never go full Goggins. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> like, like, how do we like get a bit of that? But it's the same thing in your life. Like, can you have like, can you take risks? Like, you don't have to go wild and risk the house. Like, yeah. But that doesn't also mean that you're just like, okay, well, now my only thing is to work a job that's not like in sync with purpose to me or what I care about. It's like, right. find that balance zone, find that like what works for you, logically figure it out without coming from a place of fear. And like, can I do this? For a lot of people, I believe we can. I see tons of guys who are like charging hard and they're like, oh, only once I like make a certain amount of money and I'm like, basically don't ever have to work again. Then oh, I could do it. <laughs> and yeah. it is, yeah, because then I think they're then scared of losing the money they've accrued, like, and they're stressing about that. And it's like, like yeah. if you can't start when you have like the buffer that you need, like you're just not going to. So like now's the time. Yeah. You're naming this all or nothing mentality. And it's really, it's very similar to all the, the fear stuff that we were talking about, how lousy we are at assessing what's really at stake. And so yeah. 
that that part of this is like, no, 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 you can't go in that direction at all. Just stay safe at all costs. But what I what I want to highlight here is that party that got curious and said, well, what's possible? Security is still necessary. And I also yeah. still want to do this other thing. So given that this is my scenario, what could I do? And that willingness to get curious, that willingness to just actually open up a document and start working the numbers and getting, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of it is far different than living in this world where there's that thing over there that might kill me, but I, I want to, I'm curious about it versus this thing where I'm just safe all the time. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah. I'm going to use the word lazy because that is, I think it is a lazy way to think about life. And so the encouraging thing, the one I want to put out there for the listeners is just get curious, get curious. What would it take to just do a little bit? It doesn't have to be the thing that, that you pay your bills to do just yet. Maybe phase one is just learning about it and getting in, involved in something and getting engaged in something, but you're no longer waiting. Your, your head can hit the pillow at night knowing that you're doing something and you're building towards whatever the next phase might be. Yeah, I, I love that. I would add, uh, try to connect with your 89 year old self. <laughs> that, that, that old guy, what, what would he yeah. be telling you to do? Yeah. Right? I mean, he knows like you can't just throw away the house and like there needs to be a certain amount of stability through life. Like mm -hmm. he's not a gambler, but he's like, what does he want you to do? And yeah. that's it's usually something different than you're you're doing right now. Exactly. I love that. And there's something about looking at our lives as a whole, right? As a unit, and then seeing, yeah. oh, this is just a rather it's a blink, right? It might be a pain in the ass, relatively speaking, for a little while. It might be uncomfortable for a little while. But yeah. in terms of the whole picture. I want to, how do I want to look back at this stage? Am I going to, am I going to be happy that I, you know, kicked the can down the road and made excuses and sold myself out? Or am I going to be happy that I gave it a shot and I just started leaning in and, but I did it in a way that wasn't stupid and reckless. Yeah. Hell yeah. Beautiful, man. Anson, I'm so stoked uh, that you guys are creating this and that um, I see all the brilliance behind it and I see all the, the ways that you're trying to make it accessible and, and uh, fun and playful for everyone and, and, you know, for all of us to get involved and, and do it, man. Thank you so much for doing this work. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been awesome talking with you today. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.